Hey everyone, hey and welcome back to yet another episode of Alpha Metallica. This is your host Tom Quee taking yet another detour from the prescribed alphabetical path. Uh, normally on Alpha Metallica we're taking the entire discography of this incredible band, putting in alphabetical order, having guests on and going through the song. You know, putting out what we like, what we don't like, uh, what we wish could be resigned to Room 101 or enshrined forever. You know, it's that sort of show. So th today is a little bit different. You know, Metallica are so fascinating in so many ways, and not least because of their history, because of the decisions they made, because of the paths they went down. And today's episode is kind of going to be a sort of freeform episode. We've got some topics to touch upon, and the whole umbrella is going to be the load era. So, you know, okay, my opinions on load and reload are kind of clear, you know, throughout the show. But um, nonetheless, as a historian, as an archivist, as a, as a fan of this band, I think it is, you know, so compelling to look back and to register where the bands were at this time why they made certain decisions so just before we get into our little kind of exploration of that era please follow the show at MetallicaPod. please get in touch with me if you want to come on the show and do something like this you want to do a song metallicapod at gmail.com that is the best way to get on the show um patreon patreon.com forward slash alpha metallica you want to help support the show you want to give back you get access to episodes like this like all the ones where we discuss songs reviews etc they go on the patreon first if you want to help support us leave us a review on itunes as well um they are greatly appreciated especially if they're five star if you want to be more honest you want to just do three stars you want to give some constructive criticism that's all good as well i'm going to read every single one because i'm obsessed with feedback so uh yeah um excited to get into today's topic as well as today's guest bob how's it going man all right, man. Thanks for having me, Tom. Of Appreciate course, it. Of course, man. And, you know, you brought this idea to me um, because this was kind of your era when you got online with Metallica. You're very familiar with it, which which I really appreciate. You know, I just had uh, Alex Finney on the show and he saw them on the Damage Justice tour. So it's just great to have people who have you know had experience with the band far beyond my conception of them. I mean, you know, coming off the back of one of the biggest albums of all time, the Black Album. Metallica arguably had the impossible task, didn't they, of following it up? Oh, yeah. I mean, how how do you follow that up? Yeah. You know? In, in um, I, I mean, personally speaking, you know, I, I still reference that sort of, you know, how do you follow up the Black Album whenever, like, a big movie comes out and, yeah. you know, the sequel comes out and then the sequel kind of goes in a different direction and I'm like, it's like the freaking Black Album and load, you know? <laughs> you can't follow it up. You're, you're destined to fail if you... If you try to, you know, do the same thing over. Mm, mm, mm. And it's just, I mean, it, it's hard to appreciate in retrospect, but the, 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 the sales of the Black Album, you know, thrusting the band into that mainstream position, it's a juggernaut. I think it's one of the best-selling albums, like, ever. Like, it's mad. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think I just saw that it's still sold, like, over 200,000 copies, like, that's this crazy. year. That's crazy. That yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay, it has all the singles. It makes sense, but it's just mad to think there's that many people out there still buying these records. It's, it's great. The Black Album is uh, sort of the gateway drug to Metallica. True, true. Actually. Yeah, to a lot of heavier music. I Was think. for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, let's let's get back to your genesis with the band. Sure. Then, what were your first experiences with Metallica? Uh, first experience um, would be I can remember it very clear, very clearly. Um, seeing the Inner Sandman video. Mm. Uh, so this would have been, I want to say it was right before the Black Album came out or right after the Black Album came out. My timeline, I was you know, nine years old at the time, so my head's a little fuzzy with, right. with that you know, basic part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I do remember seeing the video, and I remember the guy introducing it on MTV saying, you know, here's another one from the boys, Metallica, you know, Enter Sandman. And, I'm, and I watched it, and I'm like, whoa. You know? And the thing that always stuck out to me was James's sort of Fu Manchu mustache. Yeah. And I was like, that dude looks old, but he's not old. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was kind of a head scratcher. 
And, you know, I got to be honest, initially I was 100% Team Guns N' Roses. Sure. At that time, because of You Could Be Mine and, um, you know, Terminator 2. And I liked, you know, Enter Sandman. It was was cool. Uh, But then, you know, some of my friends, my best friend at the time, Chris, he really got me into the band. Um, But he was full on Metallica. He had an older brother who would, you know, play us riffs and stuff, you know, basically take requests in the living room (laughs) on his guitar. And um, he he was, you know, he was trying to push Metallica onto me, and, and I was very, you know, sort of nose up in the air, you know, Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose, you know. <laughs> and I think the turning point for me was probably the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. Seeing that and watching that and seeing them live, and I think at that point, um, I mean, obviously I saw it on MTV, um, but I, I think at that point, you know, even Guns N' Roses, I had seen them, you know, on TV and I was like, man, they don't really sound like they do on the record, like Axel, you know, kind of huffing, pu- huffing and puffing yeah. and seeing Metallica there. I was like, whoa, it's like, they actually kind of sound like the record and it's cool. And then I remember the very important tipping point for me was the Sabbath true video. Mm. And I know when you, when you guys did your, your video, yeah. um, call back to that, yeah. um, I mean, it, I guess in, in one sense, it is sort of a bland, live, generic video. But man, I remember sitting there in my, in my friend Chris's living room watching it on his TV and being like, holy shit. Yeah, it's, like, it's visceral, really cool. isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a and, really good document of the band. Yeah, and, and of course, the one thing that I still laugh at from, from that video and from the San Diego 92 um, live shit you know, video is the dude running up to the camera and smashing his face into the camera and <laughs> falling back. Yeah. It cracks me up to no end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and see, so you one of the things that I find brilliant about this load era is because obviously Metallica were completely different. You had to be in the wake of such a behemoth as that. And there's a there's an interview actually in Guitar World, a fantastic interview you can find online, uh, where the, the the magazine spoke to Kirk and James explicitly, and it's mostly about the guitar parts in Load and other stuff. You know, they refer to Hero of the Day as Moldy still, which mm-hmm. I think was its early name and stuff. And um, the interviewer says. Um, you know, Black Album has sold 8 million today uh, at the time of 96, sold a lot more. What, if any, of the drawbacks of having such a huge hit? And Hetfield said, everything gets so inflated. Everything is more, 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 more touring, more interviews, more of everything. Everyone wants something always. They can't just take you for who you are. Luckily for us, success wasn't a night and day thing. We'd taken a few steps on our own way up, so we were able to handle it mentally. No one in Metallica ended up shooting himself or shooting up or whatever his people sometimes feel the need to do in these situations. But regardless, we saw in picking until it sleeps as the first single it was quite a big sort of this is what we're doing now they could have played it safer they could have maybe done ain't my bitch or something which is a bit more palpable but they went with the quite arty inward uh i don't want to call it a thrasher because it's quite heavy but you know what i mean it's quite an insular song yeah big time i i i very clearly remember um when that single came out um i guess to sort of rewind a little bit with that i um at that time, you know, it was before the internet. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. And and it's funny you're, you're referencing that that interview because I remember buying that right. that uh, magazine on my eighth grade class trip in in <laughs> Baltimore, Maryland. Nice. And peering over that thing for any little details yeah. I could find out about this record, whether you know the the working titles, you know, and you know, I'm like, what, what the hell's a working title? You know, mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. I was 13, so I'm like, what? I'm like, that song called Moldy, a song called Bitch, you know, Bitch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um you know before that i for some reason i wasn't in the fan club i don't know why i had the original order form 
um, for that was you know from the address in the live shit midgen purge box set. Um, but I never filled it out and never joined the club until I went and saw them live. Um, but so you know, getting information about the load while as as it was being made was very difficult to come by outside of the little blurbs in Metal Edge magazine for me. And um, obviously, two by four and Devil's Dance from Donington in '95. Yeah, you know that that sort of came about. And I had a bootleg of you know that and that, and in and of itself, getting bootlegs at that time too. Mm. Um, without the internet, was crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, when when Until It Sleeps came out, though, I remember hearing it. Um, on, uh, I was in bed one time, you know, in probably May of 1996 and, um, April or May of 1996. And I just happened to put my Walkman on and, um, just say, Oh, what's, you know, let's see what's going on on the radio. Mm. And I turned on the local rock station, which was out of Philadelphia, 94 YSP. And, um, I heard Metallica and I'm like, Whoa, what is this? What is this song? Mm. And, I, I can still remember if I close my eyes, like, you know, thrashing about in my bed. And I think at that point too, I didn't even know that they cut their hair. Sure. So, you know, here I am imagining James with the sort of, you know, 94 mullet, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, rocking out in this song. And I'm like, what, what is this? And it was like literally that last half of the song. And I was like, holy shit, I need to find, you know, hear this again. So I remember like, you know, stalking that radio station mm-hmm. uh, for the next couple nights with, you know, my fingers ready on the, you know, playing record to record it when they would play again. And finally I did catch it, but you know, then eventually I went out and bought the single. Um, but I, I pretty much loved the song immediately. Yeah. 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 yeah there's, um, there's a, a great book, uh, Metallica, the complete illustrated history, um, by Martin Popoff who I had on the show early on actually to tackle, uh, am I evil, the Canadian yeah. journalist. And it's, it's a great book just in terms of it has adverts from the time. So you can see what was done. Oh. So they have a advert here for load coming out soon. And then until it sleeps coming out before. And yeah. they had the odd thing with the load marketing, didn't they? Where they made a point that it's 78 minutes and 59 yeah. seconds of new music. And it says here, actually on the, until it sleeps says four, four minutes, 33 of 78, 59 everywhere this day. It was a a focal point, wasn't it? It was, it was. And, you know, the funny thing, and and this is is actually something that I really haven't thought about in a long time, but that summer of 1996, so Load had come out, and um, I had sort of my first job, you know, working um, sort of under the table with a a local, um, I guess it was sort of like a pony ride, petting zoo type thing. Sure. And a bunch of, you know, not even high school kids, because we weren't high school yet, but, um, you know, high school age kids and my best friend again, Chris was there and we worked, I think it was like probably the second job that I worked with, with that crew. We were at some big outdoor party for, I don't know what it was, but they, there was a DJ there and he played until it sleeps. I don't know how many times like on repeat. No, he played um, Macarena on repeat because that was the other big thing in 1996. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember when he played Until It Sleeps, you know, I'm like, yeah. And I mean, it was blasting across this this field, you know. And I remember one of the older dudes who was, uh, you know, um, one of the workers there, he was like, I hate this song. And and um, that was one of the things, too, that really shocked me at that point. Because I, I remember when the single for Until It Sleeps came out, um, again, my, my friend Chris, you know, being over at his house and his older brother basically turning his back on the band and, you know, mm. 
you know, calling them, calling them all kinds of names that really aren't quite politically correct right now, <laughs> you know, because, sure. oh, makeup and fingernail polish yeah. and short hair and the song sucks and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, whoa, it was sort of like, here's this thing that at that point I had been, you know, I went down the rabbit hole almost immediately after I got into the black record. Um, and I was like, how could anybody hate this band? Yeah. You know, it was, it was still a head scratcher. And, and I guess even in the same vein, you know, again, with the early internet, I remember getting on, you know, different websites and searching around like for lyrics, you know, cause the load lyrics weren't in there and the, and the booklet oh, right. in, in the complete form, you know, it was just sort of like parts of it. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's very frustrating <laughs> trying to learn lyrics. And, um, I remember coming across all these Alternica and Metallica sold out websites. And I'm like, why would somebody dedicate so much time and energy to building a website to something they don't care about? It's, it was weird. You know? Yeah. 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 I've encountered a few people through these podcasts who, you know, they're still big fans of the band, but they don't listen to anything beyond the black album or the black album for them is though they stop listening. So I imagine right. load purged, you it's know, the tipping it, point. yeah, really, you know, if, if you're, if you're not going to give Sabbath true a chance, you're certainly not going to live mama said or you know or something right. like that so you know that is i mean let's talk let's talk style um sure. you know explicitly the way the band looks which which yeah. a lot of people talk about which which i love you know uh, i i guess a garish comparison would be the beatles perhaps you know who visually yeah. change as they, as they grow and there was a great interview uh with lars a few years ago on mojo magazine and he was talking about the visuals and i mean i for me no i never thought that being bob rock had been like a backstreet boys style guy and be like okay we all need to you know look this way or something and, right. and lars says you know there was five years between black album and load and the really funny thing that happened in those years was that all four metallic all four members of metallica showed up with haircuts there was this presumption that we sat all around the table together and said maybe we can get a four for one at the barbers but i guarantee that none of us talked to the others about hair and cigars hetfield started smoking them i never asked why so it's just self-expression on their part which you can't really be angry about it, it's the guys yeah you know? yeah i mean i i, I imagine I'm re i i remember actually when jason cut his hair mm. i mean here we, here we are talking about haircuts which yeah. i think when when you when you talk about load in that whole era you have to talk about haircuts as much as the oh yeah band, <laughs> you, you know sort of played it off um i was just watching the the load um promo interview that uh, where they had all the journalists there at the at the the studio where they were mixing the record and mm. you know and they're sitting there on the road case you know and, and i remember james saying you know we don't we didn't give a shit then why well, wouldn't give a shit now yeah. and yeah. um actually i remember that was the first time i saw them with their haircuts um was a little quick blurb on mtv and i was shocked i was like whoa and at that point so i was in eighth grade um i think i spent most of seventh grade and eighth grade growing my hair out actually <laughs> um, and i sort of had you know, sort of like the John Travolta Pulp Fiction kind of thing sure, going, sure, sure. which I guess it's a mullet, but <laughs> yeah, Ryan doesn't. It was parted down the middle, mm -hmm. and I think right after that, I was like, "Oh shit!" Now I got to get a go. I got to go get a haircut. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was. I, it, it makes sense. But I, I remember when Jason first cut his hair in '93. Um, I had a friend who, like, said she cried for like five days. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. You know? I mean, when he, I mean, he buzzed it too, which was like, that was yeah. a little shocking. Yeah. But whatever, it's, it's hair, you know? It's, it's interesting to see the repercussions it had. I remember uh, reading an article years ago called And Haircuts for All, um, <laughs> which, uh, which is classic. And um, I don't know if you've listened to Alison Chains' Unplugged or indeed watched the video. Oh yeah. But there's, oh, yeah. there's direct references to that 
multiple times mm-hmm. actually. Uh, Mike Ines's base has the phrase "Friends don't let friends get haircuts," uh, mm-hmm. which is directed pretty much at Metallica, who are in the audience and just cut their hair oh, short. Yeah. And then apparently. Um, I even listened to the CD myself, mostly. Jerry Cantrell paid tribute to the band by doing the intro to Battery before going into a Hee Haw song. And apparently, according to Wikipedia, this is omitted from the CD, but can be found on the DVD. So I definitely have to check that out. Um, I'm definitely a big fan of both those bands. But yeah, it just... And it wasn't just the haircuts, was it? It was uh, Kirk had a lot more tattoos. Um, he had like a lip ring, uh, makeup, and, you know, it was, it was it was pretty brave in a certain sense for the band Metallica work. Yeah, and, and I remember actually peering through the, the load booklet, uh, the CD booklet, and um, again, you know, my, my best friend was there with me the whole time, and, and he was, I remember his eyebrow, his his eyebrows both kind of going up like, whoa, yeah. what's going on here? Like, what's up with the fuzzy jackets and the makeup and the freaking, you know, the eyeliner and the nail polish, and I remember specifically him being a little freaked out by that picture of Kirk where he's showing off his tattoos. Yeah. See a little bit of his pubes, sort of, <laughs> yeah. you know, telescoping over his, his his pants, and I was like, dude, I was like, they're not going out dressed like that on the street. I'm yeah. like, it's just for a freaking photo, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, obviously, Kirk on stage was uh, had a little bit of that, you know, vibe with the the nail polish and yeah, the eye yeah. makeup. But yeah, he had a bit of again, a pixie vibe going to it's it. Sort of the Dave Navarro vibe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of washed out. Um, I, yeah. I I really like. Um, the the back cover to load um, them oh, yeah. them at the table with the hat on the chair and the candles and it's just well shot it's quite atmospheric yeah that's a, that that actually um, you know what's cool about that um, and and you can see it I'm trying to think if it's on one of the until it sleeps singles because I know over in Europe they had like there there was like two CD yeah. singles yeah. Um, and one of those you can see you know where they have the the white tank tops on um, James still has the mullet. If you look very closely, he's got his head turned, and you can see the mullet going down the back. And I wonder if he still had it in those Cuban pimp suit pictures. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that I mean, they look so cool on that back cover. And then even there's that one picture in the booklet too, where they're kind of standing by that staircase, mm-hmm. um, and they're in the same outfits and stuff. I mean, that I, I strived for that in high school. <laughs> it was the sort of Cuban pimp look. Um, I didn't pull it off very well um because yeah. i didn't really know where to shop for that kind of stuff <laughs> but anytime i had a button-up shirt or you know i would sort of have like a butterfly collar going you know and especially later in high school sure, sure. um which i'm sure any of my friends that hear this now they're like oh that's where he got that idea from <laughs> you know um i correct me if i'm wrong uh you know i'm not quite sure if this is correct but it feels the right way was this the debut of the ninja star logo this around this era yes yeah it was, yes, it, was. Yeah. it was in and um I guess the first time I probably saw it, um, and I, I'm wondering if, if you guys had this, you know, across the pond, but um, uh, when records would come out, they would have these things called record flats, which were sort of like mini posters. They were about like sure. poster size, or I'm sorry, uh, record cover size promos that they would plaster everywhere. Mm. Um, and I'm guessing they, they probably had those in the UK as well. But mm. um, And I actually just recently found the ones that I had for load and reload that I had gotten from... Um, you know, whatever record store. I was like, Hey, can I have those? You know? Yeah. And that, I remember seeing them Ninja star on that. Um, when I went to buy the CD, you know, it was, they had them plastered all over the window of the the store. And I was like, Oh, that's a cool looking, uh, you know, logo, you know? And I mean, the main logo had changed, but that, you know, 
that didn't bother me so no, much. No, no. A lot of people seem to get annoyed by that. It's not as yeah. exciting as the original. It's just kind of a tempered down version, but it's not awful. Right. You know, speaking of that, though, I was thinking of this um, just a little bit ago. Um, and I guess this probably would have come more sort of in the reload era because I have a T-shirt that um, uh, has a, has that logo, but it's slightly different. Like it has little hooks at the top. Okay. Um, in you know, it, I'll send you a picture of it mm-hmm. if I can find it. Um, but that I thought was kind of stupid because <laughs> it, they didn't put it anywhere. I, I don't remember seeing it in any, you know, obviously it wasn't on reload that particular version. It was just on this one shirt. It was a white t-shirt mm. with them um, sort of late 97, um, early 98. And I think it probably came out in 98. I think the t-shirt says like it was called like men in black, you know, they have black on sure, stuff. Sure, sure, sure. The logo was blue and it was just like, uh, that's kind of dumb, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's just interesting marketing that on the back of load, here's the mm. new symbol. Like, it's mm. just kind of there, that explanation, but obviously we recognise it as we go through. And um, I, I, just a little bit more on the visuals as well. Uh, yeah. um, looking at an interview, basically, that Mick Wall did, um, speaking to Exodus's guitarist, Gary Holt, who's obviously a long-time friend of Metallica, um, played yeah. with Kirk Hammer in an early incarnation. And he said, quote, I know one thing, they would never have gotten Cliff to cut his hair off. I'll go to my I'll go to my grave believing that, and I don't think Cliff would have been too fond of band photos, smoking cigars, and drinking martinis with short hair and suits. That just wasn't him, you know. And I, I guess Gary is right. You you I can't imagine Cliff Cowter. But to be honest, if Cliff was alive, it probably wouldn't. Not that it's a bad thing, but it wouldn't have gotten to this point, would it? It would have gone elsewhere, I imagine. Yeah, I I definitely agree um, on the photos, um, especially after a um, little side tangent with the, the Master of Puppets remaster box set. Yeah, um, reading through that book and some of the interviews and stuff, um, Cliff definitely didn't seem like he was a fan of posed photos. Sure, um, I'm, you know Ross Halfen has said that many times that he was difficult to work with when it would come to that. Um, so I definitely wouldn't see him cutting his hair um, musically. Definitely, I think they would have gone somewhere in that direction had mm-hmm. Cliff still been around, especially his love for ZZ Top and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and R.E.M. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely don't think you would have seen Cliff um, <laughs> wearing any uh, eyeliner or fingernail polish. No, no. And we can't you know, not talk about the visuals of Load and, and not get onto the album cover itself yeah. uh, or to title it correctly, Semen and Blood Free. Um, mm-hmm. Bob, uh, as a cover to you, because I'm sure, like many people, I don't know if you obviously appreciate the time. Were you aware of what it actually was, or was it just a design to you? Yeah, I I, I remember. Okay, so um, my again, you know, my my friend Chris, he had seen it first. Um, he had gone to the mall and seen it, and had told me, you know, hey, the record store has you know the freaking cover all in the window. He's like, it looks like fire. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. And then I got it, and you know, obviously. 13, 14 years old, you know what that stuff is. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, whatever. It doesn't yeah. really bother me. But again, some people are like, it's got jizz on the cover. And it's cool. And it's called load. Is that just a coincidence? Yeah. Or I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, it, 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 I, it's I've quite seen... crude even for Metallica. Yeah, I, 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 not as crude as cutting stunts. No, but, no. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've seen I've seen interviews or read interviews where they've sort of touched upon the load. Like, um, or, no, I'm thinking of that that Japanese making of um, right, yeah, a yeah. load documentary where it's like load, a heavy burden. I'm like, ah, not really a heavy burden. I'm like, mm. I, I, I guess I, I've still been, you know, twenty twenty one years later, I'm still kind of scratching my head over the meaning of the title, but. 
it, it almost seems like they gave it that title because they could do reload with it. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. it almost like feels like they had that in mind when they were going forward. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I've I've always loved about Metallica um, is their unpredictability. Mm-hmm. However, with with titling reload, I, I was kind of like I, I think you know while they were on tour for for you know on the poor touring me tour, I remember them talking about their next record, mm-hmm. and I'm like, it's going to be called Reload. I know it's going to be called Reload. And <laughs> yeah, there's Reload. You know, and and yeah. I, it's cool. But, you know, one of the things that I did like, um, you know, and I'd like the cover art, but mm-hmm. um, inside it, the uh, the sort of Rorschach yeah. inkblot designs for each song, I thought that was really cool. And they, they covered, they, you know, carried that over to um, the covers for each of the singles. singles yeah, yeah, well. yeah. I like that. I that was really cool. Really interesting. And it made you think, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, Mick Wall, again, he describes the album cover, if you didn't know its origins very, very well, he says it's, quote, an abstract, fiery colored cauldron splash set against a mottled black background, not a million wavy lines away from the kind of languid psychedelia of a geek poster from the 60s. So, yeah, and it, it is quite interesting. It's not quite as, uh, you know, as metal as Master of Puppets or Justice or sure. even Black Album, you know, which kind of sure, sure. avoids certain comparisons. But, yeah, it's um, New York artist Andre Serrano. Uh, it was originally created in 1990. He mingled his own semen with bovine blood and placed the messy results between sheets of plexiglass. Of course, it was Kirk who first suggested this. Of course. Um, but probably no surprise. It's apparently from a Serrano book called Body of Body and Soul, which he bought mm-hmm. um, on a trip to the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. And uh, he said, quote, when I first saw the picture, I thought it looked like hot rod flames because I have a hot rod flame tattoo. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, Serrano isn't without controversy. He had something called Piss Christ from 1987, yeah. which is, yeah, if anyone's seen that, it's, again, quite a by-the-knuckle thing. But, you know, Metallica were breaking out of the conventions, and if they just did another, you know, quote-unquote metal kind of cover, it would it would subvert the message of Load, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and you know, too, I think if they had... I, I think by them stand I, I don't think i've ever said this to anybody but i think by them standing up the way they did and sort of you know going against the trends um i think that helped them stand out and it helped their longevity because you know outside of sepultura and and the what's the, the roots record i think that was in 96 sure. um white zombie astro creep 2000 that was in 95 i really can't think of too many metal records that you know, made much of an impact or that people are still talking about to this day. I mean, maybe I'm off base because at the time I was, you know, 14 years sure, old, but sure. what are you going to do? But um, I think it just, you know, it's that old adage of no press is bad press because mm-hmm. people were still talking about it, you know? Yeah, 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 no, no definitely. It definitely strikes up some constellation. I remember Clint and Ethan talking about it actually uh, at length. And it is, it's kind of one of those covers that once you know the background of it, it just becomes oddly more interesting. I don't know what yeah. it is. Um, again, from Mick Moore's book, which apparently this is an advert for his book, but it's fantastic <laughs> on the load era, especially. Yeah. And he mentions that, um, you know, when Kirk first saw the album cover, he loved it. Apparently, whenever it got brought up in band meetings, Newstead would walk out the room he just, he just didn't want to... You can imagine this metal diehard. He's like, fuck this. Like, well, he, he probably had a Sepultura t-shirt on. And yeah. was like, yeah, I got, I got my, my cred. And, you know, that to me, too, just a, another side tangent there. It's like, you know, all these people... Newstead was the metal guy in the band. I'm like, yeah, he put out Echo Brain, okay? Right. 
You know, I'm like, come on. He, he left Metallica to do Echo Brain. Yeah, he did Please. some other stuff as well. I uh, I found this yeah. article recently. It was like 15 top Jason Newstead releases. He worked with some school kids in like 2001. I don't know if you've heard yeah. that. It's really weird. I, I don't think I've listened to it, but yeah. I remember, um, especially at that that time after he left, that was a very dark time. Yeah. Um, not really sure what the hell was going to happen with my favorite band that I've been following and, and you know, forever at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I remember, um, he did a record with these little kids and, um, I don't remember what it was called, but I don't even think I even searched it out. Yeah, I listened to a little bit of it this morning and it was kind of like cutesy, you know, kindergarten music with Newstead playing bass for some reason. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what, I don't know why. Like it's the it's Wiggles? Just, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> but I mean, you know, he wanted to stretch his wings to a certain extent. Sure, and, I get that, totally. You know, the Icarus to a certain extent, that, that came mm-hmm. in his peril. You know, he flew too close to James Etfield. And you know you aren't you aren't going to get burned for that. But um, I mean I mean Load is a release. Then do you remember when it came out? Were you one of the first guys to get it? Or yeah, I I actually remember um again that that and, and again when I listened to the episode you did with James Rolfe. Um, oh yeah, you know and he he's from you know the Philly area and, and where I grew up in New Jersey, sort of central New Jersey. We had Philly and New York not too far away. So um. The, uh, the rock station that, you know, he mentioned, 94 YSP, that was, you know, my thing too. Sure. Um, and they played Load, maybe it was YSP or was it MMR out of Philly? Anyway, um, one of the radio stations played the album like a day or two before it actually was released. And I remember sitting there recording it and be like, yeah, check it out, Dad, I'm recording the record. He's <laughs> like, okay, are you going to still go buy it? I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, but I, I remember being frustrated by the, uh, the DJ because I – the way he was talking, I couldn't understand some of the, the song titles. Right. Okay. I'm like, I'm like thorn within. I'm like, what the hell did he just say? <laughs> Outlaw torn. I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I remember, you know, going out and buying, that was probably one of the first CDs that I owned. Um, I think the first Metallica CD I bought was either puppets or kill them all. Um, I had a lot of cassettes at the time. I still have my cassettes downstairs too. I had my whole Metallica mm-hmm. cassette collection, but yeah, I remember going out and buying that. Um, and it was it was a very big deal for me because <laughs> it was hey man it was the first new Metallica record that I was a part of. Yeah. Um, I remember when Live Shit Binge and Purge came out. Um, I was you know on board for that as well, but I didn't go out right away and buy it because fifty dollars was a lot to come up yeah. with for you know an eleven year old kid. Yeah. <laughs> but I did get it shortly after it came out, and that's sort of when I full on rabbit hole <laughs> and <laughs> dive. Yeah, obviously. Uh, it was a giant success. Um, yeah. 680,000 units in its first week. Um, so the biggest opening week Metallica have ever had. The biggest debut of 1996 as well, which, I mean, yeah. you know, records were being sold in the 90s. So, you know, it's something, yeah. it's something of note. Um, all in all, it sold 5 mil in the US. Um, mm-hmm. Sold 2 mil in, in, in Europe as well. Um, so, you know, it, it's a Metallica release. It's going to be popular. What was it like at the time? Was it... I say a week after release, were people happy with yeah. it or? Um, I think generally, um, you know, I was certainly happy with it because it was new Metallica, you know, it was new, new lyrics that I could dive into and learn. And, you know, I, I don't play guitar or anything. I never really had the patience to, to try to learn. Um, but, you know, lyric, lyrics, man, I'm going to dive in and I'm going to learn them and I'm going to relate to them. And, you know, and there were a lot of songs that spoke to me for sure. Um, but friend, you know, in, in my sort of circle again my best friend he he i remember he was definitely taken aback he was like whoa where, where's battery you know yeah. and 
And I remember playing him the Outlaw Torn, like literally, or playing him the record. And when we got to the Outlaw Torn, as it faded in, he was, "Oh, this sounds promising." And then it was all slow, and he was like, uh, "You know." And yeah. you know, he he hung around, and then um, I think after Reload, and then it, he definitely sort of checked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now he's back on board, so it's all good. Yeah, and um, you know, when we were sort of talking before about what we wanted to cover in this era, you mentioned something that I personally had heard of in passing, but never actually watched myself. Although I think there were two editions of this, this being mm. the, the Motherload concert, which kind yeah. of, uh, you know, MTV tie-in, big-budget promo. I think the, the Europe edition, which I want to discuss first, came yeah. out in October, so a little mm. bit after the Load record itself. Now, anyone that hasn't seen this... Iron Sins until two days ago, obviously quite a big Metallica fan you might have gathered. It is a brilliant, brilliant thing to watch. It is a crazy, only like million selling rock bands could come at this idea, where basically it opens with these four black giant, mon- not monster trucks, but like, you know, big, you know, whatever, 18 wheelers you know, careening through. And the idea is that four fans, four European Metallica fans um, from Poland, the Netherlands and Wales, which is great to see as well. Because they actually say at the start, yeah. um, we've got someone from Blainer in the UK. I was like, Blainer? Where's Blainer? And then it was like Wales. Like, oh, okay, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's way of Wales. makes sense. But yeah, essentially, these four trucks are heading up to these four fans. We have interviews of each fan. Um, you know, we meet Peter in Gdansk, um, who, you know, has a huge load poster on his wall. We meet Dag Van Gennep, who, which is possibly the most Dutch name ever, um, totally. you know, and uh, he's eventually wins. Um, we have Blanier from Wales as well, and we have Roman from Austria. And it's all very 90s, gloriously so as well, oh, yeah. and it's just really cool. And all the trucks go out to all the people, and they have a prize of in. One of them, obviously, the prize is Metallica, and they play the concert with them. The other prizes are really good, actually. You know, they get given, like, a car and, like, tickets to go see, you know, them play anywhere in Europe. It's um, It's a brilliant watch, isn't it, Bob? Oh yeah, I I um I was actually surprised because I definitely was on board with the American version for sure. But um, I incidentally just checked this out earlier this morning, and um, I I had seen the actual show that the band does the the full concert. Like I have a bootleg of it somewhere um, that one of the winner's friends must have filmed, um, you know, inside the bar. And I figured, oh, you know, it's probably the same as the American version, and I sort of dove into it and i was surprised number one at the at the prizes the prizes were were totally yeah, different so than, than what the american version was um and that pass that was sort of you know the, the that they got where you know they can go to the whatever show and yeah. the meet and greet and then it sounded like that they could actually go to any other shows shows yeah. on that tour if they just give the band a heads up or their management a heads up which that's badass that is crazy yeah, i mean it's probably harder said than done like if you're yeah. based in austria and you can't just pop over the germany but but if you're a mega fan you've got that opportunity why the fuck not hell yeah I, you know and, and the funny thing is too um i think you know obviously nowadays you see a lot of um fans that follow the band on tour and and you know, when when the tour dates get announced, they're calling off for work or planning their entire summer schedule around it. Which you know, more power to you if you can do it. You know, um, I certainly did that a little bit in 2004. Um, you know, along um, the tri-state area in Philly, New York, and New Jersey. Um, but certainly in Europe, I mean, I, I know there there's even friends now. You know, through the through the Met Club and everything that um, I know were around and. and at that time that we're following the band around in Europe and also in the U S. Um, so I, I totally would have been down for that at that, that, that point. 
mm-hmm. myself if I had the money and you know <laughs> was able to do that yeah. and travel around Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, Metallica as well. They're so good. Like they're, they're so brilliant as a band to do a podcast on because they give you so much info about everything. Yeah. So they play this gig in Brunsum, Netherlands, in the Krogh Bar. Um, this is featured basically at the end of the Motherload, the winner, uh, September tenth, nineteen ninety six. And on their website, there are extra photos of them coming out of the truck and you know it's just very very fun to see the band when okay so it's kind of load ear metallica they're quite arrogant they're quite drunk. <laughs> you know what, you know what i mean quite not, arrogant, yeah. <laughs> they are they're, they're, in the best possible way but they're rock stars you know they're they're coming off the black album why shouldn't they behave this way and you know it's oh, quite yeah. surreal isn't it seeing all of this band in like this this uh in this netherlands living room the, yeah. pa- the parents are there they play pool uh, you know james has a load cigar in his mouth at the time it's all very mm-hmm. it's just very cool i i definitely uh, laughed out loud when um you know the band was sitting in uh in Dag's living room yeah. like what do your parents think about this and he just <laughs> bluntly says yeah. to them well, ask them they're right behind you i was like that's you know that that's totally european sense yes, of humor i, I just thought that blunt. i thought that yeah so blunt yeah yeah I, that, that made and, me and the band was kind of like oh yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, hey. they didn't have a comeback and kirk like goes to steal some of his records yeah. and stuff and like yeah, yeah that's awesome yeah it's uh so yeah i mean anyone that's seen this um definitely go onto metallica's website and check out the extra photo as well there's quite a fun one of kirk reading a comic book in a hammock and you see the guys coming out there was there was an odd bit of Metallica sense of humor with one of the guys who didn't win and his prize is given to him in like a huge tin of beans. Yeah. And when I saw it, I'm like, what the hell is that? And then when he said beans, I'm like, Oh, okay. And, and the funny thing is, you know, um, I can certainly speak for myself. Um, and I, I, I know a lot of other people listening right now would probably agree where he says, yeah, I'm going to keep these beans in my bedroom forever. I'm like, I would, yeah. <laughs> I still, I, I still have the the snotty sweaty towel that Lars threw at me in two thousand four. Right, <laughs> you know, yeah. unwashed. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, yeah, as I said before as well, the, the Welsh. It, it's funny to me, just as a Brit, to see like this like bubbly Welsh lass from the valleys, yeah. you know, awaiting Metallica, headbanging with all her friends in the local, you know, working man's club, and she gets given a car. Yeah, you know that that was the that was the thing that that you know. First off, on YouTube it was very dark. I, I yeah. was like, man, what the hell is going on? I can't see. Um, and then when they brought her her little Jeep out, I was like, oh, that's cool because in the American version, all the all the winners, all four of them got Jeeps. Sure. Um, and uh, I didn't, you know, I couldn't quite see if the other the the two other guys who got the the passes, and I don't know if she got a pass as well. But I was like, oh, is that sort of like a trade off, or maybe that had already happened. Um, you know, I was trying to think of the tour timeline at that point. If that was in October, September-ish, when they maybe filmed it, maybe they had already been through the UK at that point. I can't remember the tour, how it played out at that point. Yeah, yeah, you've got to, I mean, all the power to them, really, because they did yeah. show a diversity of Europe, you know. Mm. It, it may be smile a little bit inwardly that of course they go to the netherlands you know right. lars lars is sort of stomping ground but it, mm-hmm. they're all quite close together so you know who knows where oh, they yeah. are on that point and it, it's a great thing to watch i mean i'm again i'm not too familiar with the u.s motherload concert um you know how was that for you um that was awesome it was um i remember man i remember and to this day i still think about man if i had one where would the band have played in my hometown <laughs> you know trying to think because we I come from a little town in new jersey and we didn't really have a pub or anything right. um i'm like they could maybe go to the vfw hall or maybe my my elementary school i'm like i don't know sure. um but i remember they and i'm sure they did the same for the european version too where they had sort of um you know they had all these 
commercials on TV and the commercials, man, I, I was dying. And, and in, um, the DVD that I have that I watched the American version on, which it's a little chopped up. They missed, they cut a, cut out a few sure. um, parts that weren't really essential. Uh, but they had some of those commercials where the bands in the back of the truck and they show, you know, they're like, you know, these four semis are going to, you know, one fan's going to win the ultimate prize, Metallica. And the band's back there banging on the walls of the of the, the trailer. And the driver's like, what? And he pulls over and is like, what the hell's wrong with you, you candy asses? And James is like, we need some more beer, dude. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and yeah, uh, Kirk, constantly. this reminds me of the old days. And, you know, it was just, it was funny. And then they, yeah. they had a first, they had a show that where they sort of revealed the four winners. Before the actual, um, you know, contest ending, sure, sure. whatever it was, um, where they had Bob Barker from The Price Is Right. Oh, right. He was on, and he was like drawing the names out of you know one of their one of the games on The Price Is Right, and um, Matt Pinfield was there, um, and John Sencio, who was an, an MTV VJ um, at the time, and and just looking at it this morning, you know, I wrote in my notes, I was like. And totally 90s. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. What yeah. John Sensi was wearing, like almost like a shiny soccer jersey type shirt. I'm like, oh, oh man, that was the 90s. All right. Um, <laughs> and and then they send the trucks off. And then the actual the actual show um, when they revealed the winners. I remember they spent a little time with each of the four people, just like in the European version. Um, which that for some reason that footage is all cut out of the the DVD that that I have. That's it's one of those bootlegs. Like yeah. TV shit, I think is what it's called. Um, and they, when they finally got to Aberdeen, obviously, you know, my, my first thing, even at that, that time when they were drawing, you know, when you got to pick which number of, of which truck, why wouldn't you pick number one? Yeah. Because of one, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, true. Or, or at the very least, four because of the four horsemen. Horseman, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously they were number one for the U.S. version. And, um, you know, they go to the dude's house and they're eating pizza. James is like, you know, I'm. He's like, I've been in the truck for a week. You know, he's like, this is breakfast. You know, <laughs> just goofing off with the guy sure. and, and having a good time. And um, then they go and play. And, and I'm sure you've seen the footage of the actual show, like yes, full yeah. concert. That's a great show. It's great. Yeah. Here's the thing that I've always wondered about this. So on the show. They show um, again, just like the the European version. They have sad but true, and then they show um, some highlights of the show, and then they end with you know, ain't my bitch. Um, but during the highlights, they show seek and destroy, mm. and they show there's a dude, another some fan on drums. Lars is kind of sitting there, you know, doing his you know, cutting across his neck like I'm done, you know, yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And, and there's another dude like playing guitar, I think, or you know, singing. But that footage, that that song's not on what was released in fan can number two of the whole show, hmm. and it's not listed on the set list on Metallica.com. And I'm like, what? What happened to Seek and Destroy? I mean, not, it's not like it's a big, a big deal, but still, I'm like, what the hell happened to Seek? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on the European version as well, we, we do end with the concert. Um, yeah. You know, with Dag, and unfortunately, we don't get the whole thing. Um, there's on the YouTube video, it sort of records the entire set and on the website, so we don't see Last Caress. Um, we see Sabbath True, uh, Whiplash is missing, Enter Sandman, where Dag sings, which is mm. just quite fun as well, you know, and Jason's like with him quite closely, like backing him up, which yeah. is really nice. And yeah, we don't see one and we don't see Seek and Destroy either. That was cut as well. But um, yeah. yeah, the Motherlode concert is fantastic. And in terms of seeing Metallica performing 
load material and or essentially you should say performing after load is recorded or released mm-hmm. um it's Lollapalooza isn't it which is the first sequence yeah. rather than them going on their own tour and from what I can gather it was quite controversial I mean I'm not too familiar with Lollapalooza when it's ethics and stuff but it seemed like you know the practice was non-mainstream artists wasn't it Metallica clearly was going yeah. against that oh yeah um it was a big deal um here in the states for sure um Lollapalooza was um, definitely at that time, it was sort of the, the alternative festival. Um, you know, you had your Rage Against the Machines, your Jane's Addictions. Um, geez, I, I mean, I never went to any of them, so I can't really think yeah, of all yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Soundgarden played. Yeah. Soundgardens, yeah, and, and all those types of bands. And when Lala, when Metallica got announced to be playing on Lollapalooza, I'm sure you can find any you know, soundbite from any interview where James will say, Oh, the big Metallica machines coming to ruin our festival. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't what it was about because really, if you think about it, they were playing festivals like, well, I don't know if they were really doing festivals like that in Europe yet. Um, I mean, which isn't necessarily a festival, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, Like, like Russ Kilda in 86. Mm -hmm. I mean, Phil Mm -hmm. Collins was on that bill. So it was diverse. Um, but certainly in 97 when they did, um, you know, where they played Reading, yeah. you know, and, and um, some of those other bills where they have a very diverse range of artists. But at that time, man, people were, you know, and and, and it's funny. I always think back to, um, you know, um, uh, Metal Up Your Podcast when they were talking about um, uh, people being offended or being, you know, like taking things personally sure. when Metallica did this or that. So many people took that personal, man. So many yeah. people were like, how could you ruin our festival? And and then they would, in turn, would sort of stick their noses up at Metallica, you know, the the, the alternative fans. And it was just like, it, it kind of reminded me of like the end of Rocky Four, where, sure. you know, everybody can change, you know, uh-huh. sort of thing where you come in hating. And then afterwards, I think people were like, oh, all right, they, 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 they're, the, they're the real deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but I think that added to their attitude on that tour as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think James said that you know he missed being hated, and yeah. that was kind of a, a nice thing for them, a nice fuel. Yeah. And it is you know, similar to album selling loads. It's a nice relic of the '90s that people really cared about this stuff. Like nowadays, Metall- I mean, Metallica on Glastonbury, and they killed it at Glastonbury. Yeah. Probably 20 years ago, that would have been controversial. But nowadays, it's so homogenized. You know, no mm-hmm. one really cares. Everyone's really happy to see it. And supposedly Lollapalooza was instigated by Kirk, who had actually played the festival before. He'd been to every single one, and he guessed it with Ministry and Primus, um, which I wasn't aware of. So I'd like to see footage oh, yeah. of that as well. But yeah, apparently Perry Farrell, the um, you know the James Addiction guy, he like resigned from the tour because Metallica were on it, like in protest. It's like yeah, crazy. He, I, I've read like little blurbs here and there, and I don't know if I'm sure you've seen this footage too. Um, there's like three pro shot songs from I believe it's the last date on that tour. Right. Um, there was a show over here called um, On Tour. I think it was on like PBS, you know, mm-hmm. sort of public broadcasting. And um, there was, I guess they would follow bands on tour, or whatever. And they happened to be following Lollapalooza, and they showed performances from other bands. But they showed um, Sabbath True, Fade to Black, and Until It Sleeps um, for Metallica. And intercut were some interviews with um, um, Perry Farrell and some other dude who was like, you know, Metallica is the mainstream or is the alternative to the norm, sure. which. I would certainly agree with that at that point where everybody was all about, not necessarily in 1996 about flannel shirts, but definitely it was all about alternative 
and then here comes Metallica, which is the alternative to the alternative. Yeah. But I, I, there is a little blip on there from Perry Farrell where he's backstage and he's not necessarily, you know, talking dust about Metallica, but he is, he didn't seem very fond of them being on the bill. Yeah. Which, I mean, he, it's his festival. <laughs> Why did he agree for them to be on the festival if he wasn't fond of it? It was yeah. just kind of and a it head is, scratcher. It's just a bit, it's a bit, contradictory really because you look at this 96 yeah. bill Soundgarden who I'm a huge fan of so 96 has been like down on the upside era they were a massive band you had Ramones yeah. who were huge you had Devo right. huge it's like it's not like there were all these weird Japanese avant-garde artists and Metallica it was like it's just a rock festival right right exactly it's so, and, you know I, I wish I could have seen that tour yeah. um, at, at that point I had no idea how one one how one got tickets to concerts mm-hmm. <laughs> i really was like oh you must be pretty lucky yeah. <laughs> um because otherwise that would have been either that or the the summer shit 94 tour that would have been my first show if yeah. i knew how to get tickets but, yeah yeah so uh, you, you can you can see it as you said it was mtv on tour um it's on mm-hmm. met fan for life which in my yeah. opinion is the metallica youtube channel it has pretty much everything it's on there's, there's lots out there but that's one of the best ones mm-hmm. and yeah it's from august 4th 96 so not too long after low came out the irvin meadows amphitheater in irvine and they play until it sleeps sad but true and fade to black um amongst yeah. those. so i'm gonna have to watch that that's really cool but i mean i i hope um um and this is you know being a load fan too i'm sorry to cut you off too no. um the um once they eventually get to the load deluxe remaster set i pray for that full show. Yes. A full, a full Lollapalooza show would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Even the bootlegs, even the, the bootlegs that are out there, they're, you know, shaky and, you know, far away. And I mean, there's a couple of, there's a good one from Jones Beach, um, New York, um, which is sort of decent, it's, you know, kind of close, has some good zooms. Uh, but there's no real soundboard shows outside of like a handful of B-side tracks from August 3rd, 1996 90, at Irvine. Mm-hmm. Um, which was James's birthday show, um, and then those three pro shots uh, songs. I'm like, man, I wish that there was more, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a good point, actually. And I, I, you know, I've, I've sort of mocked before, but I really hope they just continue this uh, back to the front strand, and every album just gets a hardcover book, gets all the bonus tracks, because they know people are going to buy it. People like us uh-huh. are going to buy it, aren't they? And they're going to love it. And the demos, the demos as well, is something that I'm waiting for because, um, again, obviously you can find them on YouTube, but the the load and reload demos that came out um, as B-sides and then also in the the Fan Can number three CD that we all voted on, um, there's still a handful that aren't released. And I'm like, oh, I want to hear these songs so bad. And granted, they have the, you know, wa-na-na-na-na sort of vocals, but I love that. I love how raw they sound and... I'm like, man, just please, please include the rest of those. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was just listening to the Master of Puppets riff tape the other day, actually. Yeah. And the, the Damage Inc. one's so good. It, his guitar sounds <sighs> great. But just hearing James go, na 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 It's just yeah. like, to have such clear ideas of melody, because it doesn't change. He adds lyrics to it, but he's singing it the way he's always sung it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's the other thing, too, that that I, when it comes to load and reload and, and those demos especially, um I think some of the demos sound cooler than the album versions, mm-hmm. um, especially Memory. Memory is a little longer um, than uh, – it's a lot longer than uh, The Memory Remains. Um, but it's just got this rawness to it that, to me, it kind of smokes. I'm like, man, this is really cool. And it's, it sounds dirty. 
And even, um, again, another little tangent here, um, there's an MTV news clip um, from the making of the Memory Remains video. Mm. And um, they're interviewing the band, and you can hear in the background um, the song being played over the PA as they're, they were filming. And for some reason, it sounded cooler than the album right. <laughs> coming out over, you know, barely hearing it over a PA. And then also the um, in the FanCan 1 video where they're making load and you see them in the studio and they're jamming on um, Memory Remains. And the, the solo that Kirk does there sounds like it's got some different effects than what he eventually did on Reload. That sounds so much cooler to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And the same thing with, with 2x4 and, and Devil's Dance. After hearing those live premieres from the uh, London Astoria Club and then, you know, Donington 95, um, they just sounded so much cooler and especially 2x4. 2x4, um, just, I mean, I, I put that live version on, man, and I, my head does not stop bothering, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is bad. And then it's definitely bad. It, it seems like it's sterilized on the album it version, does. you know? It's just, it's not quite as heavy. It's just, I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you're right, you're right. And so we had Lollapalooza 6, um, yeah. 28 dates they played on that tour as well. So there's got to be some mm-hmm. great shows in there they can yeah. reach around the box set. And then they kicked off the, the massive tour. So, so Lollapalooza ended on August 4th of 96. September 6th, so just about a month has passed. And we kick off with poor tour me which you know was a giant tour for the band did you see them on this tour yeah it's my first show oh wow where, where was um, it um philadelphia pa uh yeah. pennsylvania nice. um march 7th 1997 oh my god that was uh, a long time ago but i'm guessing it's still <laughs> scored in the brain oh dude and i have i have a video of the show oh nice which is filmed in, on in what? Speaking what? Of, like a, a camcorder or um Probably snuck in an eight millimeter camera. I guess they nice. did. Um, and speaking of which, I was just doing some research and I saw your show, the Birmingham show. There's a Blu-ray of it somewhere. Oh right, floating around. Yeah. Oh, so keep your eyes out for yeah, that yeah, if you yeah. know. Yeah. I definitely will. <laughs> but because I, I tell you, man, especially when it comes to your first show, having your first mm. show on whether it's audio or video. Um, obviously, with live Metallica, you have the audio. But man, it, there were there were certain things that I saw at, that I remembered from that show. That you know, by the time I finally got that uh, a video of it years later, I was like, "Well, my memory <laughs> was was right." All these years later, yeah. you know, yeah. um, little little things that happened, you know, um, Jason breaking a string on my bitch, things like right. that, you know. Right, right, right. And um, looking at the set list from the Core State Center, is that yeah. right? Um, yeah. Looks to be pretty much the cunning stunt set list with a few yeah. changes here and there. So kicking off with so what um, with the bad seed jam, creeping death, Sabbath true. Ain't my bitch. It was like the set list, you know, similar to the Death Magnetic, World Magnetic tours. A lot of the, a lot of the new songs are on there, and they, and they, they, you know, they make no bones about it. Wasting my hate, they played with you. I don't know if that's like actually yeah. on cutting stunts. Um, it's not. No. They, they did. Um, see what they did on that tour. Um, they started it in Europe, um, sort of doing the Grateful Dead thing, where they were rotating the set lists. Yeah. It was very. I mean, at that time, as you know. Um, the set list rarely changed, aside from maybe one or two, maybe a different cover at the end of the show. Um, especially during the Black Album tour. Mm. Um, so when they started doing that uh, on, on Poor Touring Me, they would rotate certain songs. You know, they would rotate. Um, I had notes on here somewhere. Um, I guess the big thing would be the the, in, the opener. They would rotate between So What and Last Caress yeah. and rotate their slots in the set list. Um, also, uh, 
wasting my heat would get switched out with um, Fuel and Devil's Dance. Right. So, of course, I was like, I want to hear Fuel because I hadn't heard the song, this new song yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, they played it the second night in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no! Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. You know, and and they, they did, um, you know, the Kill Ride medley yes. and Seek and Destroy and Fight Fire with Fire, which I think the Kill Ride medley is better than the Seek and Destroy Fight Fire with Fire thing. But I, think so. I think so as well, <laughs> yeah. They did the, the short version of Master, which they did at that time. Which, yeah. I mean... I, I don't know. I think that would have angered more diehards. You know what I mean? But that's that's part of the game. That it was still yeah. a really long set. Yeah, I mean, in, in, it was. A, I mean, man, I remember walking into. Um, we we got there. Um, well, it was corrosion of conformity. They were the openers on the whole tour. Oh, yeah, we got. Yeah. They we're actually on stage playing um, "Clean My Wounds." Mm. So that song immediately stuck into my head, and that was my first real show. You know, I had gone to see some other bands that we won't really talk about. Sure. Um, you know, at like amusement parks and stuff. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I remember walking in and um, our, our, we, we saw the tail end of um, COC set and then we went and got, you know, like a quick snack in the, in the venue there. And then all of a sudden we hear, and I forgot, like I had read up on the tour um, through Metal Edge magazine and read, you know, that they were rotating songs and this and that and read about the accident and all that stuff that's going to happen. So I knew going into it, a, a pretty fair idea and i think at that point too i had one of the bootlegs from uh, i think it was june 10th 96 in san francisco which was basically the you know they played at slim's small club in san francisco and um it was basically the Lollapalooza set list which was sort of the skeleton of the set list for the port me so i had an idea of what they were going to play and when certain songs were going to come up um but i forgot that they weren't opening or weren't having um, ecstasy of gold as their intro. Right. And they would just come out and jam. And so I remember we're standing there, you know, having a soda or something. And then we hear this music and we're like, man, these roadies sound really good. And we're like, oh shit. And we ran and literally the, the, the I guess the, the corridor that we had to go to for our section was right behind us. And we ended up going around the entire, the entire uh, arena. Right. Basically going in a circle <laughs> to go back to where we were, ah, oh, shit. And we run in and they were finishing up the bad seat jam and then started with So What? And I couldn't believe my eyes that yeah. here were these dudes that I'd seen, you know, I, I'm sure you felt this at your show in Birmingham, um, that I've seen in so many shows on TV mm-hmm. and videos and on my walls and posters and books. And that's not really them. That can't yeah. be them. You I know. know? <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was a trip, man. And we were, we were in the 12th row. So we weren't on the floor we were in the stands, but I mean, all things considering, it was a great seat where I could see the whole spread of that stage and that stage, man. Oh, oh man, the, that era, sta- how good is that stage? I love that with the snake pit. And, yeah. yeah. And, and, and really, um, you know, um, one of the things that I do um, when, when I'm home, I, I tend to run on the treadmill and I put on, you know, live Metallica DVDs to run to. And um, I've been going through a lot of shows from the Load Tour just because I just love that era. I'm very nostalgic for it. And their attitude during that tour, too, man, they didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and they came out looking like rock stars, acting like rock stars. You know, and, and if you wanted to be a part of it, cool. If you thought they, if you were turned off by their attitude, well, okay, that's cool, too. You know, but they're still going to r- rip your face off and and kick your balls in you know yeah, yeah. And one of the things wikipedia does which i always appreciated of um they have some good just going through the poor touring me now and they show you how much money they made from each date so i mean like they're selling out pretty much everywhere they're making upwards of half a mil 
every show. So obviously, you know, the Metallica machine was on. It's just always fun for me, especially to go back and see um, what arenas were called. Because obviously Birmingham, where I saw them, they actually played there. They played two nights there, October 5th yeah. and 6th. They did quite a few England days. They did Manchester Sheffield. Big tour of Germany as well. Lots Same. of like, you know, obviously they're playing Hamburg, Dortmund, playing like Mannheim and, you know, Leipzig and Oldenburg. And, you know, they've got fans everywhere, of course. But it yeah. wasn't, I think because they were aware, because I'm, I'm not sure, what, did, they, did they announce Reload at the time? Do you remember? Or was that later? Um, they, I think in interviews they said, they had always said that, you know, we were doing, you know, 28, 27 songs, whatever. And then the, the number fluctuated. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I still think there's at least one song that never got released, but that's just me. Okay. Um, but uh, they, they had hinted, you know, we're going to finish up the rest of these songs after we're done with this tour. And certainly on, on poor touring me, um, I don't think they did it so much on the European shows when they would play devil's dance. They wouldn't say, you know, James wouldn't say, you know, when it comes out around Christmas time next year. Um, but on the U.S. leg, that's when he started to say, yeah, it'll come out, you know, probably like in Cunning Stunts, you know, it'll come out around Christmas time or some shit. Um, so they, they had started to hint at it. Um, and and I, re I do remember um, one of the interviews in, in Metal Edge magazine where they had said, basically, you know, the, the jams that we're doing, that's all new material. Right. So if it's something you don't recognize, it's a new song. So, you know, Bad Seed, they would open with that jam. Um, obviously, the memory jam that they would do. And I love that jam. It's so loose and just mm -hmm. like if I was a guitar player, I would play that all the time. Just yeah. that. Dun, 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 yeah. Know? Yeah. And they um, they did three nights in Chicago here. And um, one of the shows, they opened with a fixer jam, which the bootleg audio quality is a little rough but man it's a cool jam it's it's a little different than what they did like on woodstock 99 with the fixer jam um for the encores uh but then they would also jam on um i'm trying to think what other they would jam on ronnie which <laughs> you know yeah obviously that's probably the only time you can, you're gonna hear ronnie live um, has, it, has it never been played live is that right no no, because oh. I, I remember uh, they were going to try and do it for S&M, but I don't think that would have been wise. Yeah, it's, in, in speaking of which, um, a suggestion, I don't know if he listens to uh, to this podcast, but um, when you get to Ronnie, if it's not, if somebody hasn't claimed it yet, um, you need to get um, Met Club Dan right. to do it, because okay. he's a really, really big fan of Ronnie. Okay. Okay. I say that with a big wink. <laughs> <laughs> he's it's as long as i've known him he hates that song <laughs> right, right and um just to cap off the live yeah. era i mean yeah. one of the ultimate documents uh, for me metallica live is cunning stunts yeah um, i think it's absolutely unbelievable i was given it as a present on my 14th birthday uh, by my friends and i've you know watched it lots and lots and lots of times and um i don't know if you own the dvd yourself but one of the things that it had that i loved it had like a huge photo gallery about a thousand photos of every day on the tour oh yeah yeah that's um that that was uh, i first got the vhs when that came out and then um i think i ended up buying a dvd player because of 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 cunning stunts coming out and wanting the extra stuff and the different you know angles and stuff and those photos um that was i guess the early version of met on tour mm -hmm. um you know because um most of those photos i think are what you see on the tour dates on metallica.com now and the archives and stuff yeah 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 and i i definitely nitpick um you know the the metallica nerd in me comes out when i was going through that dvd and looking for the, sh the pictures for my show and what they did i, I can't remember if they they just put Philadelphia 
maybe they just listed the March 7th date. They didn't list both dates, maybe. But the pictures are from March 8th, because I remember very clearly that Kirk had his regular shirt on. But then in the second show, from the videos that I've seen, he had a tank top on, a white beater. And Jason had the King Nothing shirt on at my show. And then the second night, he had the the Summer Shit 94 Flaming Skull shirt. Mm Mm-hmm. And those are the pictures. I'm like, ah, that's not right. God, you're, you're a true fan. It's impressive. Uh, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, visually, I think is one of the things that stands out cunning stunts. Okay, you know, it was 1998, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the olden days. But I just think it looks fantastic. It sounds oh, brilliant. Like, it's a proper movie. It does. And that was the first thing that stuck out to me was um, when I first saw it, even on the VHS, um, the uh, the look of it looked more like a film, mm. looked like more like a movie, you know? Um, now, one of the cool things about this, though, I remember, um, so right after I joined the Met Club, um, and I started getting the So Wet magazines um, with, my f- with my first year t-shirt and all that stuff, um, they had a little article in the news section about, you know, load the movie, and it was basically the announcement of cunning stunts before it was called cunning stunts. And I was like, holy shit, they're going to actually do a live DVD or a live video of this, the show. And, um, I guess it was when reload, when, when reload came out in November of 97, they had a shortened version of cunning stunts. Okay. And it was called poor touring me. And it was just sort of a truncated version of the show. I think it started off with ain't my bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and it even had fuel in there and, and it kind of went through, you know, a, a, maybe it was like maybe eight songs or something. And I think they played this in cinemas in Europe. Okay. Um, and it was sort of like a mini movie. And I had acquired a bootleg of it in the summer of 98. Um, so it was before, obviously, you know, the, the actual thing got released in, in uh, November of 98 around the time of Garage Inc. So I was like, yeah, man, this is going to be cool. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Jesus, man, that, that it's still probably my favorite live DVD. Yeah probably ever because out even outside of Metallica, just because of the, when I put that on, man, I, I want to rock out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I really like memes as well from 2009 oh, yeah. when it's they played so the Coliseum. Um, but yeah, cutting stunts is probably number one for me. Uh, I just, I, yeah, I think the band are just playing fantastically and it's kind of a nice, like, okay, they look a bit different, but when they go into creeping death or sad, but there's no question who this band is, you know? Of course. Of course. And, and, and I mean, Jesus, you know, everybody rags on Lars and man, his drumming, especially, and you know, I, um, the other day on, on Friday when I was at work, I was actually listening um, to the audio of cutting stunts on my iPod Mm -hmm. and, Man, his drumming was so. I mean, he hits hard, man. His yeah. his snare hits, even his double bass. I mean, he was doing double bass, and you know, people love to rag on him these days about double bass. But I mean, he was doing those little double bass bits, and and for him, the belt holes and creeping death. And I'm like, man, the dude was on fire. The whole band was on yeah. fire at that time. Yeah. Maybe their songs were a little slower, you know. But whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was still Metallica. Yeah, they still killed it. There's a great version. Of Nothing else matters. Um, on that as well, where James kicks away the stool when he does a solo. Um, I, I like the front cover as well, them backstage after a show, yeah. drained, but still quite engaging to look at. Yeah, I actually I have a poster of that somewhere. Yeah. Um, I had it in my, my bedroom uh, back home. Um, of course, when I moved, I don't know exactly where that poster sure. went, um, but it was, a, it was a promo poster, I think, for, for Cunning Stunts because it had that, that image of them, sort of that sepia tone you know, kind of look. And I remember it had the load logo, the 
you know, the Metallica logo, but it was in red, sort of plastered across it on an angle at the bottom. And I think it maybe said Cunning Stunts on it, but maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was a European poster or what, but I got it probably at a record convention or something. Awesome. But yeah, that's, that's a great photo. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is a really good photo. And uh, directed by Wayne Isham, I should say mm-hmm. as well, who is, you know, a constant companion of Metallica, really. Yeah. Um, I, think he, I think he did Quebec Magnetic, obviously did Enter Sandman and many mm-hmm. more of those videos. The guy is, you know, the guy's done loads of videos for loads of people in general. He's a really, you know, impressive. Like, you know, no one really knows music video directors unless they go on to become famous TV film directors. But Wayne Isham is, you know, going through his Wikipedia, it's like, wow, you know, this guy's yeah. real, real... Uh, done some great stuff so you know, we have to talk about uh reload as well was there antici- sure. was there anticipation when it was coming oh out? hell yeah, yeah, so, for, yeah. C- certainly for me man i was <laughs> i was stoked um i don't know if everybody else was and that's the other thing too it's like um you know i, I get you know in, um, in, in high school everybody called me metallica bob <laughs> which right. it's cool you know sure. um but I, I i never got off the train i never you know was like you know i hate this record i'm never listening to metallica again you know i was just in it for the long haul. I mean, there's maybe songs that I might skip, but there's not something, anything that I like, man, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe slither. I might be like, eh, sure. it gets a little, 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 little too much. Um, but even Lulu, I'm like, I get it, but it's not something I listen to every day. No, no. Uh, but with we, with reload, I remember, all right. So, um, again, going back to, um, all the different bootlegs and stuff from the poor Tori me tour and the little jams I had, gotten um uh new york uh the, the show from new york uh new york new york city madison square garden uh, march 11th of 97 and that had the memory jam where they started and um i had made like a little cassette tape of all these little jams that i had found from different bootlegs and you know with devil's dance from from donnington and and um i think fuel from they played fuel at at that new york show as well so i had that and I was like, yeah, I got this new stuff and I'm freaking raring to go to hear this new record. And I remember going out um, and th- when, when it got released, I went with a friend from, from high school and uh, we went out and bought it and I went home and listened to it and I, I loved it immediately. Mm-hmm. And but the- I think like the vision, for sure, people were still felt betrayed by load. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And um the artwork of Reload as well. It's kind of just similar how Load and Reload have this relationship. It's just not quite as interesting as Load, is it? Yeah, you know, the, th- the thing is, um, one thing that I did appreciate with that artwork, with the the, the Piss and Blood, mm. um, I think that's what it was called, Piss and Blood. Sure. I don't know what the number was. Um, but I the fact that they used it as the backdrop on the tour. Right, okay, uh, I didn't know that, that's cool. Yeah, they used that as the backdrop, sort of sort of Master of Puppets, like, you know. It was, right, It yeah. was the backdrop, they used it in, in 98 and 99, um, even though that was the Garage Remains the same tour. Um, they still used it, and I thought it looked cool. It, it definitely had a cool vibe to, um, especially when they put different, like if they put red light on it or something. It looked, it was quite a striking image for you know being at a show for sure. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, cool, yeah, and uh, you know that sort of ties up this era, I suppose. Obviously, the '90s continues for the band, um, garaging S and M, etc. But I think it's just been worthwhile to look specifically at the load reload era please comment below um you know were you there when the records were coming out what do you think of this era for the band in general check out the european mother load um video it's like 20 minutes it's the perfect thing to watch when you're making your dinner or something and it's just yeah I, 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 that welsh girl i can't get over her i just it really made me <laughs> laugh seeing her i just thought what what a surreal thing to see in this so we're gonna wrap up 
um, there's a uh, Loudwire article, and it has uh, an argument that I find quite interesting. Ten reasons why Metallica's load is better than you remember. So we'll just work through quickly these points, um, see what we think. Some of them I agree with, some of them not necessarily so. The first one being, um, it's basically saying that, you know, load has as many headbangers as Black Album. Ain't my bitch king nothing and waste my hate are easily as heavy as Enter Sandman or wherever I may roam. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I think so. Um, Ain't My Bitch, especially, um, that's um, actually your episode about Ain't My Bitch. I, w I was listening to it and I kept thinking, I'm like, Motorhead. I'm like, it's their Motorhead song. It's sure. their, it definitely doesn't have the, you know, sort of double bass that a Motorhead song has. Yeah. But um, Lars even referred to it as a Motorhead ripoff um, in, in Fan Can number one when, when he's, they, they play a little snippet of it for the some contest winners that were hanging out at the studio, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, that's definitely one that um, I, I kind of missed that song live, actually. Yeah, I think you if know? they brought that back, it would be celebrated. Yeah. You know, everyone yeah, knows that sure. track and you know, first taste of load to a certain extent. Um, point two, which I think is hard to argue with, like it or not, Fresh Metal had pretty much run out of steam and innovation uh, by the early 90s, so one can't blame Metallica for having the common sense and guts to explore new sounds. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, granted, I'm sure there's people right now cursing, <laughs> saying, you know, Slayer. Um, but, I mean, uh, obviously in the early 90s, you had the, the Clash of the Titans tour um, with Slayer and Megadeth. And I think Anthrax was on that tour, too. Um, and Alice in Chains as well. Um, so, I mean, that was still going well. But, um, you know, around that time when Load came out, with the whole alternative thing going on and everything, people were like, metal is dead. Heavy metal is dead. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I... I, I was a little young at the time, so I was like, yeah, it's dead, sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. But looking back at it, I mean, it was right before the whole new metal thing started with Korn. Sure. And I mean, Rage Against the Machine was around still, you know? But yeah. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> they, um, number three. I don't really know. This is a reason why Load is better than you thought. But they talk about how um, I know. I know you're not maybe the more guitar proficient, but how James and Kurt's guitars would would basically tune to E flat, um, so a semitone down, which they argue makes it heavier. But it's 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 not really heavy. It's more about singing, as James has said before. It's sure. just slightly lower key. Uh, Finn sure. Lizzy do this. Guns and Roses do this a lot. You know, Van Halen just makes it a bit easier to go on. I mean, it, it just contributed to another a different aspect of the sound didn't it more than anything yeah yeah for sure i i you know i remember definitely live hearing the different hearing bootlegs and stuff over the years when they had changed their live sound too that i think between like 94 and 95 um when they did uh, the donnington 95 show that definitely sounded a lot different um than i remember you know especially at the time i was like whoa something's different here yeah. um and then on the on the album didn't really I remember in that Guitar World um, interview, um, you know, reading about that and being like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't know really what that means, but, you know, <laughs> obviously now, you know, um, yeah. all these years later, I get it with the, with vocally and, and having to, you know, um, for James's vocal sake, you know, I get it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I remember I remember watching a documentary years ago, a U two on tour, and the guitar tech was like, Bono hasn't told us what key he wants to sing in tonight, so we might have to retune all the guitars. And I was just like, Oh wow, you know. So uh, <laughs> so some people could take it to the nth degree. Um, another point they make, which I think is quite true, really, load is home to some of Hetfield's uh, downright most personal lyrics, and it and it does open that element to him. Oh, absolutely. Um, for me, um, you know, I sent you my top ten songs there and until it sleeps for sure is definitely in my top 10 um obviously about james's dad dying from cancer um oh, yeah, yeah, of and 
you know, and, and Mama said, and I mean that stuff, man. It, it's it, it, it's definitely deep, and I think for me, it was it 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 opens itself up to interpretation. Um, and you know, how do you relate to this song? And I think that goes along with what was going on with the with the CD booklet with the Rorschach tests or you know the ink blots and stuff it was basically how do you what do you see here what do you how do you interpret this and you know over here um when ain't my bitch you know people were like when that came out they were like oh you know he's talking about women no he's not he's talking about bitching you know it's a problem it's um, it's no sweat you know it's it's not my bitch you know yeah, 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 yeah. um but people interpreted it as oh my god you know he's talking about women oh no. Back yeah, off, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen a few few sound bites of him correcting yeah. that. Yeah, um, I don't know how they got the proof from this fact, Loudwire. I'm going to just trust them. <laughs> Apparently, um, they say in a mark of irony, Load's first single "Until It Sleeps" was the first known song to be pirated by early file share technology. And they say you have to admit that this coincidence is almost uncanny. I mean, that is quite a, a sort of bit of dark humor there, isn't it? Yeah, I, I I saw that too when that when that that got announced, and I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's d- definitely ironic for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Metallica. It, it'd be unsurprising if one of the biggest bands in the world it wasn't one of their songs, you know, that that, that was moved through one of their biggest scenes. Yeah. Um, they also argue that Load offers perhaps the best showcase for Lars's percussive talents. After so many years pushing the envelope as a rhythmic technician, uh, Lars allowed to lock into the groove more on Load and simply serve the song. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that probably started with the Black Album, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, where it wasn't, you know, just an, a million miles a minute kind of thing. And um, there's some great drumming on that. I mean, the house that Jack built, I love I love the drums on that. And even even the little things that he does on, um, on Thorn Within. But then you have something like Outlaw Torn, where it's just that laid-back groove for the whole song. Yeah. I love it. I love it, man. It's it's so awesome. Yeah, it, re- it really is. And um, next point they make it, again is quite true. They basically talk about how Jason, you know, in terms of creativeness, did not really creativity didn't really bring much uh, to the band apart from Blackened and a few other riffs and stuff. Just arguing that you know with Bob Rock um, post Black album. Newstead's presence was more felt, and you can certainly hear a lot more of the bass, a lot more of his ideas on load, can't you? Yeah, and, and um, another thing, if you haven't seen it, the uh, MTV Rockumentary from 1996, mm-hmm. um, there they, they talk about, um, James and Lars talk about, maybe it's James more specifically, talking about letting Kirk and Jason sort of have a little more free reign over the way that they play, like not standing over their shoulder and saying, mm, no, I didn't write that note for you, play it this way. Sure. And you know, I, I think at the time I was still kind of scratching my head when they would say that, and I'm like, okay, well, why doesn't Jason have any writing credits on, on this, yeah. this album? And you know, and then his you know last writing credit, where the wild things are on Reload. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it definitely loosened up, and um, especially with Kirk's Kirk playing rhythm, um, you know, on, on all the songs, and then even James trading up with some of the, the solos throughout load and reload you know, i thought was really cool too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but as if to contradict that um in mick wall's book um you know he's talking about the relationship specifically between jason and james and james being saying quote there were times on the record when i walk into the control room while he was doing his bass thing he'd be doing some flea funk part and i count to 100 before exploding so <laughs> i mean you can yeah. imagine james being pretty rattled by that and and jason said uh, eight years later james had the last word on everything 
I'll bet. I'll yeah. bet. And and two, you know, in in James's defense, um, he's James Hetfield I guess, in his defense. Well, of course, yeah. yeah. But um, you know, I think I think two. Um, in in th- this, I think is probably a whole other episode. But Jason and the side project stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, when that stuff happened, you know, that irate demo came out in 1994, mm-hmm. and G- and it got played on the radio, and James and Lars were pissed about that. Um, you can dig up some interviews where they talk about that. And I'm sure, you know, at that point, James is still kind of like, eh, what's this dude's deal? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and so I'm sure any little thing that Jason did, James was going to scrutinize, but you know, I can't blame him at that point. No, you know? no. And, um, on MTV icon, uh, which has some brilliant interviews from the band, mm-hmm. you know, analyze themselves. James says, you know, he recognizes that he, he hurts things that he loves, you know, he's yeah. supposed to strangle them to protect them, which, thinking of how he grew up what he's been through mm-hmm. makes sense that sort of rationale yeah. and it's just it's quite it's quite sad but you need that conflict at the heart to make the band worthwhile totally i agree you know um yeah they also mentioned hero of the day how it had all the classic mohead covers which was pretty cool in of itself yeah. and apparently metallica um played as the lemmys for lemmys 50th birthday yeah that was actually that was one of my very first um, bootlegs that I bought. Was um, oh. was that Lemmy's performance? I need to hear that. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And there there's um there's a couple there's one video of Overkill from and I believe it's from the Whiskey like their their main video system because it's sort of pro shot and sort of soundboard. Um, but then there's an audience recording of that show, and it's it's decent quality you know i've definitely heard worse um but the 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 bootleg that i had was called hey hey we're the lemmies and um and had um the the astoria tracks of two by four and devil's dance and the kill ride medley as sort of bonus tracks on it too um but it's a cool it's a cool little thing and and that's another thing that i hope makes its way onto the load deluxe box set is if not just a soundboard recording of that show or a video of that show or the two other songs that they rehearsed that didn't yeah. end up as B-sides. Um, you know, uh, God, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, no, we they, the yeah, they need to put it in. I, I agree. They, yeah. A lot of Pelosa stuff as well. I think we're giving them some good ideas uh, for yeah, the packaging. Um, come to on. think of it too, um, sorry, um, come to think of it, um, on the Lemmy documentary DVD, mm. there's a bonus feature um, about Metallica doing that show. Oh. And there is some footage of it in there. So... Ooh. There's okay. video somewhere. Okay. And, uh, and finally, Loudwire. They seem to have kind of given up on this last point about load. It's basically, it's not as bad as other things. They say, uh, consider how much load is better than the follow-ups Reload and Say Anger. The first unsuccessfully tried to pass itself off as not being an album of load leftovers. And the second, well, need we say more, they ask? <laughs> now, I like Say Anger, but I, I, I yeah. get I get the uh, the gestalt of it all. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, with, with Reload, one of the things that I have thought about with a reload, you know, going back to what I said about how some of the stuff that they were doing earlier with that, that material that ended up on reload, I think they overthought it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they tinkered with it, with it a little too much, um, in the studio. And one of the things that I read was the, um, and you can hear it. Um, the guitars are much more up front in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little more in your face, um, which it, it, it to me, it sounds different for sure. Um, I never considered those songs to be leftovers because they were still working on them. They were still working on lyrics and and different ideas. And you, you hear the progression from the original demos that have that have been released. 
even a song like Fixer or, of course, Mine Eyes, which became Low Man's Lyric. Right. Um, the Mine Eyes version, if you haven't heard that, I mean, it's it's a little more standard Metallica ballady type of thing. Um, and then they eventually went with sort of Tom Waits kind of vibe that they that became Low Man's Lyric. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was one that really got rethought. And to me, that's not a leftover. I mean, they were still working on it, you know, still building it and still um, sharpening it. Mm-hmm. Maybe in, in some, some cases it got a little too cutesy with some of the vocal tones and little vocal things that James does in songs like Slither. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Well, um, yeah, this has been awesome. I mean, we could go forever, yeah. really, on this era. Oh, totally. There's so much we haven't touched upon, but I think we've given a you know, some good groundwork. Hopefully, ex- yeah. exposed people to people, things they might not have been interested in. I definitely need to find the Lemmy's uh, bootleg after this. I'm going to try and seek that out. Oh, yeah. Um, I, we're going to have you back on the show soon for Fixer, um, which, yeah. I'm, which I'm really looking forward to. But are there any any projects, anything you'd like to promo, get people's... Um, yeah, I have, I have a blog that I do. Um, I haven't really done much on it because I really haven't had a lot of time. Sure. Um, but I have a blog that's um, called Constriction Pictures, and it's a, it's a horror movie blog. Mm. And basically um, what I do is I just write about whether it's a new movie, you know, a review or some random movie that i went through in my my collection sure. um and uh that's um constrictionpictures.blogspot.com and um you know there's a couple actually metallica related articles on there too that i wrote um but eventually I, I'll, I'll get back on the horse and do some more stuff with it but i just haven't really haven't had any time and then uh, my other thing that i do um, with a couple friends and my and my cousin is um a thing called curated horror which mm-hmm. is on instagram and you can check us out on there. And basically what we do on there is we just find cool, whether it's behind the scenes pictures from horror movies, mostly from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, or, you know, original promotional things for some of those movies, whether it's newspaper ads, you know, or, or press kits, things like that, just cool little things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've been doing that for about a year now, and it's it's, it's a lot of fun just digging up stuff and, and kind of impressing between the three of us be like oh look what i found oh wow you found that that's, yeah, yeah. that's badass never saw that yeah <laughs> um yeah well i just as you were speaking i just went on to constriction pictures uh dot yeah. blogspot and um there's tons of metallica articles on there yeah. really, really in depth as well so you know yeah. if anyone wants some um, some further reading definitely check it out i'll pop the link in the description below um but uh bob this has been a joy man thank you very much yeah, man. it's been a pleasure man thank you so much all right um so please everyone follow the show at metallica pod uh, support on the patreon if you enjoy the show if you want to give back uh, leave us a review on itunes subscribe comment you know all the things i say at the start and the end of every episode but um bob as always man it's been great yeah man thank you cheers 